The Industrial Revolution is arguably one of the most important events in recent times in terms of transforming the structure of the world economy. Indeed, if we look around today, we see a wide variety and heterogeneity in countries and their economic achievement. And often it is the case that countries which currently have high levels of wealth, total wealth as well as per capita wealth, were already on a trajectory to achieve that high level of economic development already a century or more before. Now, in economic history, we call this the Great Divergence. Why is it the case that Britain pulled ahead of the pack and its peers? And why is the Industrial Revolution called the British Industrial Revolution? Why did it occur first in Britain and not in other countries? This is what we look at in this episode. When trying to answer why the Industrial Revolution occurred in Britain first, we have to ask this question more precisely in order not to get sidetracked. Now, Kenneth Pomerance has written an interesting book called The Great Divergence with the subtitle China, Europe and the Making of the Modern World Economy that suggests and puts forward very exciting and new ideas about the origins of the Industrial Revolution and the sources of that occurring in Britain and not elsewhere. So Pomerance is an economic historian and in his book The Great Divergence he first suggests that in order to ask the question why the British Revolution in industry occurred indeed in that country and not in other countries, we have to be aware that we are comparing like with like. So he's suggesting that firstly the units of comparisons needs to be appropriate. So instead of asking the question why the Industrial Revolution occurred in Europe and not in China or in other countries, but let's focus here on China. He suggests that, Pomeranz suggests that it is better to compare the most advanced parts inside Europe, in particular Britain, but also the Netherlands, with the most advanced parts and regions in Eurasia, namely the Yangtze River Delta inside China, as well as some parts of Japan and Gujarat, India. So we have to ask better questions in order to understand the Industrial Revolution and get better answers. So when we compare Europe relative to the rest of the world, this would actually undermine 
our analysis because we would lose track of why Britain was distinct and different. Because not the whole of Europe was the birthplace of the Industrial Revolution, but rather only the most advanced parts of Europe, in particular Britain, were the location of the Industrial Revolution. This matters because if we compare Europe relative to the rest of the world, we actually lose track of the substantial variety inside Europe, between the different countries in Europe. In particular, uh, what made Britain distinct uh, in pulling ahead of the pack uh, relative to its European neighbors and why Britain was able to be the location of the Industrial Revolution. In particular, to foreshadow some of the things that we will talk about, Britain was distinct from its European neighbors in its imperial activities and its access to overseas colonies and overseas resources, including relying on unfree slave labor as well as mercantilistic restrictions on its overseas colonies. So it would suggest that the British Empire, that is the access to overseas resources and colonies, helped to create the economic superiority that emerged rather than empire and colonies being merely the outcome or the sign of an underlying innate economic superiority. So this is a subtle point that is important to bear in mind, namely the difference between the cause and the effect. And if we compare Britain with the most advanced parts of Eurasia that were roughly on a similar level of economic achievement, and then understand that Britain was distinct in Europe, and what made Britain distinct in Europe was its overseas access and its imperial activities, one understands that the resulting British Empire was a, if you like, a cause of the resulting economic superiority rather than being an effect of an innate intrinsic economic superiority. In a nutshell, Pomerance in his book suggests that the great divergence in economic performance and growth between the most advanced parts of the Western core and the Eastern core of Eurasia, if one understands Eurasia as the landmass stretching from Spain and Portugal all the way to China and including Korea and Japan, 
So if one understands geography from this perspective, Pomerance is suggesting that the great divergence between the most advanced parts of Western Europe and the most advanced parts of Eurasia, Eastern Eurasia, started with the Industrial Revolution in Britain around the 1800s rather than fundamentally preceding it. So this is an important point, namely that the divergence in economic outcomes really in earnest started with the Industrial Revolution in Britain. So Pomerance is suggesting that the things that made Britain distinct from its peers in Eurasia, namely the Yangtze Delta, and um, Pomerance is suggesting that this is indeed the case, that the Yangtze Delta was a very economically advanced region, that Britain was able to pull away from its peers and start the Industrial Revolution. And Pomerance suggests that this great divergence started with the Industrial Revolution. In older literature suggests that the Great Divergence started several centuries, one or two centuries, prior to the Industrial Revolution. And this is an important point because it would suggest that the Industrial Revolution starting in Britain was a seemingly inevitable and natural outcome of a very long-running trajectory and trend in diverging economic outcomes between Britain and the rest of the world. But prominence would like to suggest that the Great Divergence um, started with the Industrial Revolution and did not precede it very much. Implicit in this argument, and Pomerance makes this explicit by citing a host of empirical data, is that Britain, uh, on the eve of the Industrial Revolution, in its economic achievement was matched to some extent by some other well-advanced regions in the world economy. Namely, as mentioned previously, Gujarat, India, Japan and certain parts of China. So if you have in mind that these are, if you like, peers, which are roughly equivalent in their level of economic attainment, Instead of asking what held Asia back from obtaining the Industrial Revolution, it might be better to ask what allowed Britain singularly and initially to overcome the blockages it shared with most other advanced regions in the rest of the world. Now, scholarship has found that the Dark Ages that preceded the Industrial Revolution were not so dark after all due to tremendous scientific and technological achievement. 
And this implies that the gap between early modern Europe and its past is narrower than previous historical scholarship suggested. So if you think that on the eve of the Industrial Revolution there was an economic growth taking shape that distinguished Europe from its past, recent scholarship suggests that the Dark Ages actually were marked by significant scientific and technological achievements. And if one follows down this route, it would imply that the gap between early modern Europe and its past is narrower than previously suggested by historical scholarship. And this as a consequence would imply that the gap between Europe and non-Europe, that is the West and the non-West, was larger and thus the eventual economic superiority was rooted endogenously in internal European factors rather than being due to any external factors. So in other words, if one looks at Europe and the rest of the world and one finds that the economic attainment prior to the Industrial Revolution was higher than previously anticipated, the gap that opens up between the West and the rest, the West and the non-West, seems to be larger and more long-running, the outcome would be thinking that the Industrial Revolution taking place in Europe was an almost inevitable, or rather, perhaps put less strongly, a natural outcome of the intrinsic European superiority in its factors that were conducive to growth. However, Kenneth Pomeranz in his book presents evidence that on the eve of the Industrial Revolution, the gap between the modern West and the non-West appears to be much smaller than previously anticipated. Therefore, as a consequence, if indeed Britain and the Yangtze River Delta are more comparable in economic achievement on the eve of the Industrial Revolution, one has to ask two questions. What things did these most advanced regions of the world economy have in common that helped them to make them the most advanced regions pre-Industrial Revolution, prior to the start of the Industrial Revolution. And these things that the most advanced countries or regions have in common before the outbreak of the Industrial Revolution, they did not share with other less developed areas suggesting that these common factors between Britain and, for instance, the Yangtze River Delta in China were conducive to the type of economic growth prior to the Industrial Revolution. And prominence suggests that there are roughly three factors, which is, relatively speaking, uninhibited markets, where buyers and sellers interact, Second, extensive 
handicraft production, which is a form of non-mechanized industry. And third, commercialized agriculture. All of these three factors, relatively uninhibited markets, however far from being perfectly competitive. Second, handicraft production and third, commercialized agriculture were common factors conducive to growth in the Yangtze River Delta as well as in Britain, as well as some other regions such as Gujarat, India and parts of Japan that allowed all of these advanced, most advanced parts of the world economy to achieve a roughly equivalent or approximately equal plateau of economic development. Now, the second question that one has to ask if following Pomeran's lead is what things these most advanced regions they did not share suggesting that is not share amongst themselves suggesting that the paths to economic growth prior to the industrial revolution was actually pluralistic there would be different paths economic development. So if we compare Britain and the Yangtze Delta around Shanghai, if there are factors that makes these most advanced regions of the world economy different, however they attain a similar level of growth and output, it would suggest there's different paths to economic development available. And Pomeranz is suggesting that the distribution of population growth is important. Not just the amount of population growth, but the location of distribution of population growth. In other words, more specifically, he finds that population growth is concentrated in Britain in already densely developed and densely populated areas in Britain in cities. So in let's say between 1750 and 1850 densely populated cities in Britain recorded population growth and this is in contrast to the population growth taking place in China where less densely populated regions record population growth and this is important because in China the less developed areas experienced population growth had the freedom when experiencing more people being born to switch to proto-industrial production so that would be for instance away from agricultural production to a form of industrial production of the form of proto-industry. And this would later prove to be a problem when these less developed areas experiencing high growth of population then would produce industrial output for themselves which did not allow 
the more developed areas, including cities, as well as the most advanced areas around the Yangtze Delta, to sell its own output to its interior periphery. And this is what Mark Elvin called a high-level equilibrium trap. Population growth in less developed areas with little arable land then provided the impetus for labor-intensive innovations, so innovations that used labor intensively because of the relative abundance of people, and this would allow land to be used more efficiently due to the large number of people, which also meant that there was less private return available for labor-saving technological innovations. Now, this is different than in China, in China than compared with Britain. In Britain, the population pressure occurs in cities and in cities which are already densely populated in Britain, this raises wages. So the cost of labor rises and industry at that time was located in or near cities. And this produces a impetus in Britain for creating labor-saving technology that uses other inputs such as energy resources instead of manpower more heavily. So while in China you had an impetus for labor-intensive innovations, so innovations that would use the little arable land that is available in the less developed areas of China, for example, improving the use of land via more extensive use of manpower. In Britain, the returns to technological innovation were tilted in a different direction, namely of saving labor, because labor was becoming increasingly costly in Britain. And this is a clear contrast to China. Now, these differences in the distribution of population growth gives a Philip or a impetus in Britain for technological innovations along the lines of land using and energy using path, along the path of land using and energy using path, while being labor saving, so cutting down on the use of labor due to its high cost. So in other words, in Britain there was technological development and great deal of application of industrialists of the latest technology to save labor because labor was very costly. The entrepreneurs had expectations of profits because labor was becoming increasingly costly and the free wage in Britain was rising. This was not the problem so much in China because population growth there 
was distributed along the less developed areas where the impetus for technological innovation was more along the lines of using labor intensively rather than less compared with Britain. So it is the case that in Britain there was an emerging technological superiority in the form of labor-saving technology. However, in terms of the labor-intensive technological innovations, including in agriculture and agroforestry, parts of China had the lead over Britain. So it is the case that Pomerance argues technological innovations indeed took place at an unprecedented scale in Britain, but the nature of the inventions were fundamentally different from that which took place in China. And nonetheless, the innovations that happen in Britain in itself were not sufficient, according to Pomerance's hypothesis, that allowed Britain to break away from the pack of its peers in Eurasia. So you have peers that achieve a similar level of economic development of Britain and, for instance, the Yangtze River Delta in China. And there are some things that make Britain distinct, such as the type and the nature and the degree of technological innovation, as well as its distribution of population growth, which shapes the nature and direction of technological innovation. And this in itself therefore leads to a different trajectory of innovation and technology adoption in Britain relative to the rest of the world. Now, as a side note here, this is related to the theory of endogenous growth, where economists and economic theorists have argued that growth on tech in technology, so innovations and so on, are not manna from heaven, so it is not exogenous, it is not coming out of an unexplainable source, out of a black box, but rather has to be explained inside the model, endogenously, so determined inside the model. And endogenous growth theory suggests that coming up with innovations costs money, it costs effort, it costs resources, it costs human effort. And this effort needs to be compensated. And the innovators who are doing the innovating are looking forward to a return from their innovations. So in other words, the economic structure, the economic conditions in the country, so how costly, relatively speaking, the factor inputs are to production, land, labor, capital, will shape the 
type of innovation and the speed of innovation that takes place in a country. So to apply this to what we just talked about, if it is in the case that the workers in Britain commanded a relatively high wage compared with the rest of the world, the impetus is for innovation and technological progress to take place such that you would save on labor, which is a relatively speaking costly factor input. Whereas in China, this was not the case that the real rate was relatively low compared with, for example, London. Having laid the foundations, we now can come back to the question why the industrial revolution occurred in Britain and why that allowed Britain and then later other parts of Europe to diverge economically from the rest of the world. So Britain had in common with other parts of the world economy, uh, in particular the Yangtze River Delta as well as Gujarat India and parts of Japan, uh, markets, handicraft production and commercialized agriculture. That is what was common and that allowed Britain to achieve a similar level of economic attainment. However, what made Britain different is the type of technological innovation that was shaped by the distribution of its population growth. Now, what then Pomerantz is arguing, and this is a crucial point, is what made Britain distinct? What allowed Britain to not end up on a path like Yangtze River Delta? So why is Britain and then later Europe not China. That is his question he likes to ask because typically in economic history and popular discussions we talk about the fall of Asia and the rise of Europe and we ask why is China not like Britain? So why did the Industrial Revolution not take place in China? But to look at it differently, one can ask what made Britain distinct? So one has to look at certain things that made Britain distinct that allowed it to pull away from its peers in the rest of the world. And Pomeranz is suggesting that this is primarily twofold, a set of twofold factors, colonies and coal. So coal, the location of coal was relatively speaking accessible including by means of transports of rail, railway system, which were built during the Industrial Revolution. And secondly, colonies. And he suggests that colonies are important because the technological innovations that took place in Britain produced a breakthrough that allowed Britain to sell its manufacturing output, which was increasing at a scale due to the industrial application of these new innovations, Britain allowed its manufacturing output to be sold to the New World plantations and its colonies, 
in the new world and due to forced trade and the lack of if you like sovereignty and political independence of these plantations these plantations needed to buy the output from Britain including cloth as they didn't produce much above subsistence levels of output and therefore were obliged to be the markets for British output. However, Pomerance is suggesting that besides this narrative of being a destination of manufacturing output, secondly, colonies were also important and in particular important because they eased the resource constraints that Britain faced by importing land-intensive goods such as primary products, so think of cotton, from the colonies and plantations in the New World, including the south of the United States and other parts, this reduced the resource constraint at home because Britain had, if you like, these constraints it faced and via colonies it was able to overcome these constraints. And in addition to coal and colonies, there were also some accidents which helped Britain uh, to make use of its colonies, including, as Pomerance explains, epidemics and uh, resulting depopulation that decimated, unfortunately, the native population, including Indians as well as other native indigenous populations that was leading to a reduced resistance to British occupation. So he is suggesting that the colonies were primarily important in easing the Malthusian, so from Malthus, the economist, Malthusian constraints, resource constraints Britain faced at home. We have seen that the most advanced regions of the world economy on the eve of the Industrial Revolution shared relatively uninhibited markets as well as non-mechanized industry and commercialized agriculture as a common set of factors that allow these regions to be relatively advanced. However, when we talk about markets and the role that markets played subsequently in the, that is, after the start of the Industrial Revolution, what the role of the so-called free market was in the emerging British economic superiority, Pomerance reminds us that there were a lot of distortions in the market setup that helped Britain improve its economic attainment and its economic superiority. And the deviations of the, if you like, a perfectly competitive free market were, the, if you like, in the following form. 
there were state monopolies and colonial legislation that granted privileges, a form of mercantilistic capitalism that allowed colonies to be used as destinations for exports, as well as forced extraction of natural resources, as well as of people, such as including the slave trade, as well as armed trade and full-on colonization, all of which is a far cry of consensual, mutually consensual free trade. And all of these deviations and distortions of the market helped Britain enormously, according to Pomeran's hypothesis, to proceed with its rise to a global economic power. The typical narratives explaining the British Industrial Revolution are that this is due to market-driven growth as well as science and technology. Pomeranz suggests that while these two factors, that is scientific discovery, technology, inventions on the one hand, and then markets, the role of markets and market-driven growth, on the other hand, surely contributed to the growth of early modern Europe, they were not sufficient to explain the ultimate rise of Britain pulling ahead of its peers. And secondly, Pomeranz also suggests that the market-driven growth was one but not the exclusive way to achieve commercialization. And he suggests that in parts of Japan and parts of China, you had different ways to commerce and proto-industrialization, which Sugihara, Sugihara Kaoru, suggests is a industrious revolution, where uh, the type of revolution and growth of commerce is opposed to industrial revolution. So it suggests that far from market-driven growth being the only and unique way to achieve commercialization, parts of Asia, by their economic achievement, proved that there is an alternative way to achieve commerce other than via the way in which Britain achieved it via its use of markets and institutions based on markets as well as uh, property rights. In a nutshell, Pomeranz is suggesting that Britain shared the same base of an advanced market economy 
with other parts in the rest of the world. So Britain shared at the onset of the Industrial Revolution a base of an advanced market economy. So in that sense, Britain was not unique because in that sense, it was similar in attainment, economically speaking, to some parts of Eurasia. And nonetheless, it was more advanced in some parts of technological innovation, in particular labor-saving technological innovation. What was truly unique was that, according to Pormann's thesis, is that imperialism, colonization and forced trade allowed Britain to build what Prominence calls a, quote, self-perpetuating division of labor between primary product exporters and manufacturing regions in the modern world, unquote, suggesting that, quote, the first modern core and its first modern periphery were created in tandem, unquote suggesting that they mutually depend on each other. So the poor periphery and the modern core of the world economy were created and mutually dependent on each other. And he suggests further that, quote, the global conjuncture allowed Western Europe to build something that was truly unique, unquote, upon a base of an advanced market economy that it shared with its peers in East Eurasia on the eve of the Industrial Revolution. So, to summarize, Promise is suggesting that Britain was not unique in terms of having an advanced market economy on the eve of the Industrial Revolution. But what made it unique is access to coal as well as overseas imperialism and colonies that allowed it to break away from its peers in the rest of the world.